Hello, good evening. Welcome to another episode of Brett's All Time Radio Show, and welcome to my home here in beautiful and very, very cold snow forecast. Well, I, I tell a lie. Some of the media outlets that I've been looking at are saying we're going to have snow blanketed all across the country. And that's going to be happening in the coming week. I don't believe it. Every year we seem to get all the the headlines of there's going to be it's going to be the hottest summer on record. And then it's going to be snow everywhere. It's going to be the coldest winter on record. And it's always a lie. I don't understand why they just kind of make stuff up. Maybe it's just to, I don't know, just to, to fill the papers or just to just for a bit of talkability. Who knows? But it is frustrating. Right. Got that off my chest. Thank you for joining me once again for our regular late night visit to those dusty studio archives of old-time radio shows right here at my home on the south coast of the United Kingdom. I'm Brett, and we host for our nighttime podcast. Welcome to another episode. I've got Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Go check them out. I'd appreciate that. And we've got a supporter page at patreon.com forward slash Brett's old-time radio show. If you could share our little show on social media, we'd really appreciate it. However, with it being a Sunday, of course, it's time now for more adventure. This is one of the final two episodes I've got of The Saint. So it's going to be, well, it's going to be this week and next week. And then we're going to be looking for a brand new show. So I don't know what we're going to go for yet. We'll have to have a talk about it. The Saint Plays with Fire by Leslie Charteris. Dramatised by Neville Teller. With Paul Rees as The Saint. Kim Thompson as Patricia Holm. And Fiona Fullerton as Lady Valerie. Three cheers for our licensing laws. I suppose you like being packed off to bed when the clock strikes 11. But darling Patricia, just think, if it weren't for our professional nannies, we'd still be swilling inferior champagne and being deafened by saxophones in that revolting roadhouse. If only. Instead of reveling in the magnificent English countryside. You are reveling in the magnificent English countryside, aren't you? I can't see any magnificent English countryside. It's pitch black out there. Well, revel in the magnificent English country road, then. You can see that. Oh, for some saxophones. Miss Home wants saxophones. Saxophones Miss Home shall have. And toss them like vermin. Destroy them like rats who would carry their plague germs throughout our fair land. The blood of a million Frenchmen. Dead on the field of glory, cries out to you! Show yourselves worthy of their sacrifice. Rise up and arm yourselves against this peril that threatens you from within. Sons of France, I call you to arms. For heaven's sake, Simon, switch it off. No, listen to it, Pat. It's the sound of a world gone mad. I've heard this sort of thing before. One night I was fiddling with the radio and caught some Nazi jamboree in Nuremberg. It's like an infectious disease. Nation after nation falling over themselves to wipe out 2,000 years of civilization. First Russia, then Italy, Germany, Spain, and now France. God for a little sanity. And English saxophones. But what was that? The Sons of France. Heard of them? Colonel Marteau's blue shirt gang. They've been holding a midnight rally outside Paris. Torches, bonfires, flags, bands. The whole shooting match lifted from Herr Hitler. 
What's it all in aid of, for heaven's sake? Overthrowing the French socialist government, probably. And leaving the world safe for the arms manufacturers to make an honest fortune out of mass murder. It's a lovely idea. Look over there. Oh, yes. Anyone would say it's a fire. And that's just what I bet it is. We'd better drift along and look it over. Oh, Simon. This is how those racing chappies do it, you know. Really? And what do they do when they want to go around a corner? I should think this is the place. Handsome gatehouse. Now, that's what I call a fire. It meets with your approval, then. Well, at least everybody seems to have got out. Come on, let's have a closer look. There you are. One young lady rescued. Oh, by Joe, Valerie, you don't like that, you know. All right, all right, you rescued me, and I'm very grateful. For heaven's sake, stop pouring me, Donald, and find me something decent to wear. I think you look very well as you are. I prefer to have something more on than a chiffon nightdress. Out here, at least. You run, Donald. Damn it, Valerie. Do you realize how difficult... Of course she does, old man. She knows you've been a hero, but she's just been practical. Now you try it and tell me, is there anybody left in the house? Hmm? What? Oh, I don't know. Well, don't you think it'd be a good idea to round up the others and make sure nobody's missing? Oh, certainly. I see what hmm. you mean. Yes. Uh, General, General, will you and Lady Sangor come over here? Was it? Uh, oh, oh, yes, of course, of course. Come along, my dear. Uh, Mr. Luca, Mr. Fairweather, we're, we're assembling over here. Well, someone ought to know. Are you all here? No, they aren't all here. John isn't here. Where's Johnny? Oh, where can he be? He must have heard the alarm. Uh, Kenneth! Kenneth! Where does this man Kenneth sleep? He's in the end room on the left. That window there. Oh, my God. That wing's where the fire started. Just look at it. It's an inferno. Does anybody know where there's a ladder? Ladder! Ladder! For heaven's sake. Pat, do what you can. Yes, darling. Stop him. For God's sake, stop him. It's suicide. Hey, you there! You there! Come back! But I was halfway across the lawn by then, racing towards the house. As I plunged through the front door, the heat struck me like a physical blow. I dodged across the hall and leapt up the stairs four at a time. The smoke was thicker on the landing, but I saw that the door at the very end was closed. I fell on it and turned the handle. It was locked. No response. Flames curled out from beneath the door. Perhaps I could dislodge the key and fish it through the gap. I bent down and looked through the keyhole. There was no key. I rammed the door with my shoulder, but it was tough old English oak seasoned by 200 years of history. There was nothing to be done. I fought my way back through the barrier of flame to come reeling out through the front door, clothes blackened and singed and smarting from a dozen minor burns. There we are, sir. That was a very foolhardy thing to do, sir, if I may say so, but uh, very brave. Nice of you to say so, Constable, but um, do release your grip, Reginald, old boy. Being collared by the police makes me rather nervous. Uh, sorry, sir. I'd get along and see the doctor, sir, if I was you. He's in the lodge with Lady Sangor. Is that the old trout's name? Now, I'll bet her husband's at least a general. No, thanks. I'd rather have a drink. I wonder if the owner of this jolly little bonfire would oblige. You mean Mr. Fairweather, sir? Well, that's him coming along now. My word, sir. Let me shake you by the hand. I don't know who you are. Uh, Templar's the name. Simon Templar. Good grief. I've heard of you. You're known as a saint, aren't you? What were you doing here? Passing. Fine effort, young man. 
splendid effort by Gad. But you shouldn't have tried it. Did anybody find a ladder? A ladder wouldn't be much use now. Uh, quite right, Luca. Much too late. Uh, just look at the flames. They're simply pouring out of the poor fellow's windows. Not a hope, poor chap. What a tragedy. It's lucky you turned back when you did. If you'd reached his room, the chances are you'd never have got out. Oh, but I did reach his room. Only I couldn't get in. The door was locked and the key wasn't in it. Really? Well, now the fire brigade's arriving, I suppose we should get along to the lodge, General. We can't be any use here. Oh, no, yes, yes. Well, that splendid effort, young man. Splendid. Uh, deserves a medal. I shall take personal steps to see that your heroism is suitably recognized, Mr. Templer. Well, we might as well be floating along. The excitement's over and it's past our bedtime. You feel like bed? I thought you'd never ask. Excuse me, sir. Ah, Reginald. Oh, I'd better have your name and address, sir. That's going to be an inquest. My card, Constable. All particulars inscribed thereon. And this is where I'll be staying for the next few days. Thank you, sir. And you, ma'am? My name is Patricia Holmes. I'm with Mr. Templer. This chap, Kenneth. He wouldn't be any relation of the government minister, would he? His son, I believe, sir, from what I've heard in the village. Staying with Mr. Fairweather for the weekend. A long weekend, poor fellow. By the way, who's that other bloke? The one who looks as if he's been carved out of a small piece of cliff. Oh, you mean Mr. Luker. He's often down here. He's a financier or some such. Mm. Well, excuse me, sir. I must catch General Sangor before he leaves. I knew he was a general. Right, we'll be off. <laughs> Next time I tend to a fire, I'll be sure to wear some old clothes. You're better off than I am. Between them, Lady Sanger and Valerie Woodchester have cut a swathe through my wardrobe. The old battle axe insinuated that all my undies were immoral. It didn't stop her helping herself to anything she could halfway get into. And what about the Woodchester girl? Lady Valerie Woodchester, to be exact. She was even worse. Since everything fitted, she picked out my most expensive things. I'm destitute. Poor you. Would some saxophones help? Mm, dancing at the Savoy. You know, that fellow Lucas, the odd man out. Well, how do you mean? Well, you won't have heard of him, but he's a big fish. Hobnobs with prime ministers and ambassadors and dictators. Yet here he is, not once, but quite often, visiting non-entities like Fairweather and General Sangor. Perhaps they're friends. People like Luca don't have friends. They have useful contacts. He's the majority shareholder in a steel company in Germany, an armaments firm in France, and the Wolverhampton Ordnance Company. All he'd do with friends is arm them and set them firing at each other. That's more or less what he did in Spain. Then what on earth was John Kennett doing with these people? He was pretty far to the left, wasn't he? My thought precisely. Strange bedfellows. I only hope he was unconscious before the fire got him. My dip pat. If there's one thing I'm sure of, it's that the fire did not hurt him. You mean... I mean, I'm absolutely certain he was dead before that fire started. I think it's murder. Peter Quentin? Yes, he's staying here. Of course I will. 11.30. Fine, he'll be there. Goodbye.
That's from me, please, sir. The inquest. It's at 11.30 in Anford. Right. The pleasure of your company is requested. I dare say this calls for a little light refreshment. Mm, you have the knack of hitting the nail unerringly on the head. Eh? He means yes, please, Peter. <laughs> oh, right. And you, Pat? I may as well join you. I do hope mild libation will help put my thoughts in order. Your thoughts about murder, you mean? I'll give you four things. One of them is that John Kennett's door was locked. It certainly is. To say nothing of the fact that the key wasn't in it. Who did lock that door? Secondly, where were all the servants? Thirdly... Why were all the doors and windows wide open? And your fourth point? Mr. Kane Luker, who sticks out like a sore thumb in that crime. And uh, you're going to present these points of yours to the coroner, are you? Well, let's see if the opportunity presents itself, shall we? Ah, Lady Valerie, I presume. Are you a reporter? No, but I could get you one. Hmm. May I compliment you on your dress? I know it well. I always like that particular number. How silly of me. I remember you. You're the hero, aren't you? If you say so. Oh, if only you'd managed to reach John. I can't think what could have happened. He must have heard the alarm. And I knew he wasn't drunk. He couldn't have committed suicide, could no, he? No, he didn't commit suicide. I'll bet anything on that. But why did you think it a possibility? Well, he did have the most awful row, and I swore I'd never speak to him again. He did seem to take it rather to heart. Were you engaged to him? Oh, no, nothing like that. Of course, he may have thought... He may have thought you were in love with him, mm. and you let him think so. Is that it? I suppose so, if you put it that way. What girl would see a thousand-guinea fur coat slip away just for want of a bit of an effort with a man? A fur coat, eh? Mm. And who made you this, sir? Uh, generous offer. Algy Fairweather. Hmm. Of course, he's simply rolling in cash. A thousand guineas was a drop in the ocean to him. He was more than willing to spend it if John could be reconciled to his father. That's the, uh, the foreign secretary, you know. Hmm, I know. Well, Algy thought that if John was engaged to me, only in a sort of unofficial way, of course, I could stop him being so stupid about all his left-wing causes. Hmm. So, of course, I had to try. Any luck? Really, just wouldn't forget all his stupid ideas. And instead of enjoying himself like any ordinary person, he'd just lecture me for hours. Sometimes he'd bring along a fellow called Windley that he shared digs with, some ghastly place called Balaclava Mansions in Notting Hill Gate, of all places. And then they'd both talk at me. It was simply frightful. Um, what did they talk about? he'd say the beastliest things about Mr. Luker and General Sangor and even his own father. And then he'd go on about something called the Sons of France. Say that again? The Sons of France? Hmm. I don't know what that was about, so don't ask me. But he kept on about how he was going to upset everything in a few weeks and make things uncomfortable for everyone. Something about papers he and Windley were going to publish and photographs they'd got hold of. I used to tell him not to be so damned selfish. Live and let live's my motto. <laughs> Quite. Incidentally, what's happened to Luca and the others? Oh, they're in the office talking to the coroner. Are they just? That doesn't all go too well. You are the captain of the Anford Fire Brigade? Yes, sir. On the morning of the 18th, you examined the ruins at Whiteways? Yes, sir. And what did you find? In the ruins of the library, I found the body of the deceased among a lot of debris, including bits of a burnt-out bedstead. And what conclusion did you draw? 
Well, that they dropped through the ceiling from one of the rooms above. You are the owner of Whitewell's, Mr. Fairweather. Would you mind telling the court what happened on the night of the fire? Uh, we had dinner at about seven o'clock, and then we sat and talked in the library until about half past ten, when Mr. Kennett went to bed. That was the last any of us saw of him. The rest of us decided to go upstairs at about 11.15 or thereabouts. Well, that is all perfectly clear so far, Mr. Fairweather. What happened next? Well, about an hour later, I was suddenly woken up by the fire alarms. I pulled on a pair of trousers and went out onto the landing. I saw Captain Knightley coming along the passage carrying Lady Valerie. Oh, oh for heaven's sake, Donald, take more care. Potatoes. sorry, old thing. Don't Soon have you out. Somewhere, I could hear General Sangor. Hurry up and get out, everybody. There's not much time. Uh, make your way to the front lawn. I started to follow Captain Knightley. I was halfway down the stairs when I met Mr. Luca coming up. Oh, it's you, Fairweather. That's all right, then. I was afraid you hadn't heard. The others are all out. Come along, quickly. I ran out into the front garden with him. That's about all I can remember. Thank you, Mr. Fairweather. Next witness. Uh, a, a moment, sir, if you please. The jury have a question for the witness? Hmm, that's right. What is your question? Uh, aren't there any servants at Whiteways? <laughs> Several. But except for my chauffeur who lives in the gatehouse, I'd given them all leave to attend a dance in Reading. They left straight after dinner and didn't get back till the fire was practically over. Does that answer your question? Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Fairweather. Yes, sir. We needn't trouble you any further. Call Mr. Kane, Luca. As Sir Robert and Lady St. came out of the front door, I started to go down to the lodge to phone the fire brigade. On the way, I met Mr. Fairweather's chauffeur, and I sent him back to make the call. I returned to the house and started to go upstairs. I met Mr. Fairweather halfway up. I said, do you know if the others are all out? I thought he gave some sort of affirmative answer. Now I realize he must have missed my first words and thought I said, the others are all out. A tragic misunderstanding. Yes, indeed, Mr. Luca. But I don't think any blame can be attached to you. Next witness, please. Mr. Simon Templer. Thank you, Mr. Templer. That all seems quite clear. You appear to have acted with singular courage. I should like to congratulate you on your extremely gallant attempt to save this unfortunate young man's life. Next witness, please. Haven't the jury any questions? Uh, yes, I I've got some questions. Have you? Well, you'd better ask them, then. Uh, you're the chap they call the saint, aren't you? You've had lots of experience of crime. Now, do you think there was something fishy about this fire? Whatever nickname the public might know Mr. Templer by, his personal opinions are not matters which concern this court. Yes. I think there were a lot of very fishy things about it. Silence! Silence! I'll have the courtroom cleared. We are not interested in your theories, Mr. Templer. Please remember that this is a court of law. I am trying to. I was summoned here to give evidence about Mr. Kennett's death. I haven't given any yet. I'm trying to draw attention to a number of curious facts that I haven't been allowed to mention so far. What are they? For one thing, every ground floor window in sight was open, producing a draft which must have materially helped the growth of the fire. May I explain, sir? Of course, Mr. Fairweather. It had been a warm day and we'd had all the windows open. It would normally have been the butler's job to lock up the house and I'm afraid it slipped my mind. 
the butler would indeed have done so on his return, except, of course, on this occasion, he arrived back some time after the fire had started. Thank you very much, Mr. Fairweather. Now, this is an instructive example of the dangers of jumping to rash conclusions. There are some persons who, whenever they are in the public eye, are led to exaggerate and distort in the hope of attracting more attention to themselves. So much for your fishy facts, Mr. Templer. Then why was young Kenneth's door locked? But why shouldn't he lock his door? No, he had every reason for locking it. He was staying in a house full of people he bitterly opposed, who hated all he believed in. But it hasn't been proved that he locked his door. I simply said that the door was locked, and I might add from personal observation that the key was not in it. Sir, beg pardon, sir. Who is that? It's Albert Bream, sir, fire brigade captain. Ah, yes, Mr. Bream, um, you have something to say? About the key, sir. I found it among the debris in the library. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Bream. Mr. Kenneth locked his door and took out the key. I fail to see any sinister implications in that. I have frequently done so myself. And have you frequently held inquest without bringing any evidence to establish the cause of death? Mr. Templer, that is a most improper remark, and you will withdraw it at once. I do withdraw it. I apologize. Go back to your seat. I am strongly minded to commit you for contempt of court. But since it is publicity you are doubtless seeking, I shall not give you that satisfaction. As for the cause of death, in a case like this where there is no evidence to justify a suspicion of foul play, it is not necessary to order an autopsy. Now then, members of the jury, <clears throat> let me summarise the facts in this case, which are absolutely clear. You were magnificent, Simon. I could have murdered that coroner. But what good did you do? The verdict was still death by misadventure. No good at all. But it had to be tried. My worst mistake was in telling Luca at the time that the key wasn't in the door. He simply slung it through the library window at the first opportunity. Incidentally, I noticed you getting all cosy with your girlfriend before the inquest, but I didn't see you take my dress off her. Hmm. There's a time and a place for everything, Pat. But we were right, boys and girls. Our old friend, the arms racketeers, were on the warpath again. Luca Fairweather and Sanger? With Luca pulling the strings. The sons of France are in it somewhere, too. I'm pretty certain that something big's in the offing. Young Kennet was onto it. He got hold of some papers or photographs that made him too dangerous to go on living. He just wasn't smart or tough enough, and they got him. Friends, I'm going to carry on where Kennet left off. Who's with me? I'm looking for trouble, and I'm in it. It seems to double every I drove straight to Notting Hill Gate to see if Kenneth's flatmate, Rafe Windley, could help clear up some of the unanswered questions. Balaclava Mansions turned out to be as ghastly as Lady Valerie had said. I walked through the decaying hallway and found the front door of the flat half open and the wireless on. I called out, but no one answered. It didn't take me long to discover why. A bullet fired at close range had very effectively ended Rafe Windley's chances of ever saying anything again. The room had been ransacked. Are you in your handiwork, Temple? Good God. Chief Inspector Claude Eustace Teal, as I live and breathe. You mustn't do that to me, Claude. You know, I'm basically of a very nervous disposition. Oh, yes. Switch that off with you, son. For once, Claude, you're at the right place at the right time. I don't know whether you've noticed it yet, but there's a dead body on the floor behind me. And without claiming your encyclopedic knowledge of crime, 
I should say he appears to have been murdered. That's right. And I should say that I knew who did it. Uh, call me hypersensitive if you will, Claude, but can you by any chance be oh, suggesting we'll see that... see about that. Sergeant, search him. Raise your arms, please, sir. I'm extremely ticklish. Do be careful. Nothing, sir. What have you done with that gun? Do you think I carry a gun in a suit like this? My tailor would throw a fit. Well, let's have some explanations, then. I come in here and find you standing over a body. Precisely. Now, think about it, Claude. In all our years together, have you ever known me stand over the bodies I murder? Tell me, what made you come here in the first place? The landlady found it about half an hour ago. Right. Allow me five minutes to commit the dastly deed. Another five for our pleasant chat... And that means the poor fellow was done to death no less than 40 minutes ago. But at 12 minutes past one, I left the Golden Fleece in Anford. Quite a number of people of impeccable character can vouch for that. I know I'm one hell of a driver, but even I can't do 95 miles in that time. Anford? What were you doing in Anford? I was attending the inquest of a poor blighter by the name of John Kennett. You mean the foreign secretary's son, who was killed in that fire? How you do keep up with the news, Claude. All right, you were at Anford, but what are you doing here now? I wanted to see Rafe Windley before someone else did. I was too late. Believe this or not, but Windley and the late John Kennett shared this charming pied-à-terre. What was the verdict at the inquest? Death by misadventure. And was it? Put it this way, Claude... I think it would be a good idea if you started investigating not one murder, but two. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll be heading back to Anford. All on your own, Eo, again? Oh, hello. Are you always being left alone? Oh, the others are upstairs having a business conference or something. Where have you been all afternoon? You seem to vanish off the face of the globe. Oh, about my business, just as you go about yours. And what is my business? Being friend Fairweather's tame vamp, I suppose. You think I'm tame? Let's see. What would be your fee for dining with a gent, say, Thursday? That's the sort of dinner invitation no girl could resist. Well, I fell passionately in love with you the moment I saw you. I suppose I could endure dinner with you for a fee. After all, I've got to eat somewhere. Let me think. I couldn't let you off with a penny less than 50 guineas. You know, there's an innocence, a freshness about you that's quite irresistible. Will a check do, or must it be cash? Damn. I believe you'd have paid a hundred if I'd asked. Oh, well, a bargain's a bargain. Thursday, then, at eight. At the Barclay. And since this is a business deal, I shall expect you to be punctual. The fee will go down for every minute I'm kept waiting. Fairweather? Oh, Algy, this is Valerie. I'm frightfully sorry to bother you and all that, but I, I rather wanted your advice. Do you mind terribly? It's about Johnny. That man Templar hasn't been pestering you again, I hope. Well, not exactly. I mean... I have just had dinner with him. Why did you have dinner with him? Well, he does ask rather a lot of questions. The man's becoming a perfect nuisance. That's not what I phoned you about. What I wanted was your advice about something Johnny left with me. I mean, what was I supposed to do with a great thick wad of papers? What papers? I don't know. I didn't read them. Well, I'd better at once. I'll be round immediately. Oh, that wouldn't be any good. I haven't got them at the moment. I've, uh, I've sort of mislaid them. Mislaid them? Well, Johnny and I had a flaming row, and I couldn't go on carrying a whacking great envelope around with me, so I, uh, 
I dumped them somewhere. Somewhere? Where? Well, that's just it. I've forgotten. Some cloakroom or other. I suppose I had a ticket, but all my things went up in the fire. I was wondering if it might be a good scheme to get Mr. Templer to help me find them. Templer? Certainly not. The last man on earth. You haven't told him about these papers, have you? Not really, but, you know, I think he guesses something. Two or three times this evening he asked if Johnny had ever given me anything to keep for him. You must remember where you put them. Oh, don't worry. I've written to Celia Mallard. What on earth has Celia Mallard got to do with it? Well, she was with me when I dumped them, and she's got a perfectly marvellous memory. I told her in my letter they were worth thousands. So if anything happened to me, she was to go straight to the police. I should get a letter back quite soon. How long does the post take from Monty these days? What made you say the papers were worth thousands? I don't know. But anything terribly important is bound to be worth a lot of money to somebody, isn't it? Not necessarily. But I'd see you didn't lose by it. You did once tell me you needed a car to go with that fur coat, didn't you? Hmm. And do you believe her about this cloakroom ticket? I don't know what to believe. Knowing her methods, I suppose she's fishing to see how much we're prepared to pay. This dinner with Templar. How do you know he didn't put her up to this? Oh, my God. She might easily have no papers at all. No, my dear Algy. I'm afraid we shall have to take more permanent steps to deal with both of them. What sort of steps? Do you really want to know? You mean... You and Sangor, you're like a couple of squeamish old maids with shares in a brothel. You want your dividends, but you're determined not to know how they're earned. That's how you were about Kennet and Windley. Now it's Templar and Lady Valerie. Well, I'll spell it out. We get hold of that cloakroom ticket or establish that it doesn't exist. And then they've got to be murdered. Hello. Is that you, Simon, darling? This is Valerie. Hello, darling, and how are you? Fine, fine. Listen, Simon, remember that cloakroom ticket I asked you to keep for me? Cloakroom ticket? Oh, of course, it's quite safe. Oh, good. You see, I'm afraid I must have it back at once. Sorry to be a nuisance, but it's frightfully important. I mean, could you bring it round right away? Easily. I was just looking for something useful to do. You know where I live? I should think so. I looked it up in the phone book the instant I got back to town. I've just been waiting for an invitation. Well, you've got one now. Do hurry, darling. And listen, promise you'll tell no one you're coming to see me. Cross my heart and hope to die. Well, well, well. Did you get all that, friends? She wants to see you. Am I supposed to get as excited as you obviously are? She wants more than that. She wants a cloakroom ticket she gave me to keep for her. Well? Problem. She's never given me any ticket. Good God. And she wants it at once and nobody to know where you've gone? Call me suspicious if you like, old chum, but I detect a strong odour of a setup. Oris? You're not going, are you? Try and stop me. Ah, Oris, old man. Things have been a bit dull for a while. Do you feel like a spot of action? I'll just load the revolver, sir. Well, be a mo. Hands up if you saw an eyelid, Bat. Are you on, Peter? Lead the way, Captain. Would you remember one thing? For you, anything. I look terrible in black. A lift carried us to the top floor of the block of flats. I waited until Peter and Norris had taken up their positions, flattened against the wall on either side of the front door. Come in. Good gracious. Who are you? And, uh, what's that gun for? Come in, you. And put your hands up. I slid past him so that he was forced to turn his back to the open door to keep me covered. Peter and Norris were precisely on cue. I'll take that. Thank you very much. And it's my collection. Oh, I've got one of these. Okay, Peter. Let him breathe. Now talk. Very quietly. What was supposed to happen next? 
I was to take you in there. There's two blokes want to see you. Fair enough. Let's carry on as if nothing had happened. Oris, empty out the bullets and give it back to him. No, we'll do. Now you two, cover us. We're going in. And remember you. One sign that everything isn't hunky-dory, and you'll be the first dead hero of the evening. Understood? <laughs> Understood. Yeah, I understand. Right. Let's go. I turned the handle and went in with my arms raised. On one side, Lady Valerie was tied to a chair, a man bending over her with a hand clamped over her mouth. A second man stood on the opposite side of the room, a small automatic in his hand. Hello, darling. You do have some nice friends, don't you? Disarm and search him, Dumer. So your name is Dumer, is it? Won't you introduce me to your uncle? Do be a bit more careful. If it is of any interest to you, I am Major Bravache, a divisional commander of the Sons of France. How perfectly splendid. But do you know what bad company you're in? Ah, the wallet. Thank you, Dumer. Ah. The ticket in question. I will take charge of that, mon ami. My dear lady, we are very grateful. You have done a great service to the Sons of France. I can assure you that if anything should happen to you, should you, for instance, be murdered by one of our enemies, we will consider it a debt of honor to avenge you. Oh, that'll be nice for you, won't it, Valerie? As for you, monsieur. You have been attempting to discover our secrets in order to betray them to our enemies. The penalty for that, as you know, is death. What book have you been reading? Your crime has been committed against the Sons of France. And you have threatened Lady Valerie Woodchester, who is our friend. If you were to murder her, it would naturally be our duty to avenge her. You mean that the idea is to kill both of us? Our version of events will find wide acceptance. You are a notorious criminal. Many people will applaud our action, not least the British. You know what to do. You, Mr. Templar, will accompany Pietri and myself. If you resist or try to obstruct us, you will be shot. Is that understood? Oh, perfectly. What a pity I can't go along with such beautifully laid plans. Use your gun, you fool. There's nothing in it. They caught me outside. Enter the cavalry. Now, I wouldn't, Major. Really, I wouldn't. Horace, you might care to relieve the Major of whatever offensive weapons he may have about him. My pleasure. And what might your name be? He's the strong, silent type. It's a pity to waste a perfectly good time, but I think we ought to restrict your freedom of movement a little, don't you? Oh, Oh, you gave me some bad moments. For a long time, I thought... That I'd let you down. Now, when have I ever failed a damsel in distress? Especially one caught in her negligee. What about getting the menagerie out of here? Good idea. Perhaps you and Peter could keep an eye on them for a little. Oh, and Major, I wouldn't get too excited about that ticket you found. It didn't win me a bottle of wine at the Cricket Club raffle last month. Come on, you. Move on. You always seem to be catching me in these boudoir moments. I mean, you've seen me in my negligee more often than fully dressed. Must be faint or something. Any trouble is, there won't be any thrills left when we get really friendly. I should think you've had enough thrills to last for a bit. Now, all this about a cloakroom ticket. I take it that you've got something they want. Probably some papers that Kenneth gave you and you've parked them somewhere. Sharp as a needle. Well, you're right. I thought Algy might like to know, so I just mentioned it to him casually on the phone. You were trying to sell them to him? A girl has to live. How long do you think you would have lived tonight if it hadn't been for me? Poor little fly-brained moron. What makes you think you can cut in on a game like this? Well, 
Algy did offer me 10000 earlier this evening, only I thought they were worth more. If I could get a decent offer for those papers, I'd take it like a shot. What do you think they're worth? I'll give you a shilling for them. Oh, I wasn't thinking of selling them to you. But if I rang Algy and told him he could have the papers for 15000 he'd probably jump at the offer. I mean, after what's happened tonight, he'd consider himself damn lucky to get them at all. Where are those papers at the moment? They're in a cloakroom, all right. Dare say I could find the ticket when I have to. Valerie, why don't you stop being an idiot and let me get into the firing line? I think I'll be getting along now. It's been a lovely party, but even the best times have to come to an end. Uh, do you think you could move those men out of the bedroom while I put on some clothes? I didn't think you'd want to keep them for domestic pets. Horace, Peter, bring out the zoo. Why, why, sir? I phoned Pat and told her she wouldn't be needing her little black number just yet. But to get hold of a chauffeur's cap and drive the Daimler over, making sure she wasn't followed. Then I took Peter to one side and gave him certain instructions. A few minutes later, he and Oris had escorted the three sons of France out of the flat. Oh, what's happened to everyone? Peter and Oris have removed the exhibits. They'll get what's coming to them somewhere else. We didn't want to make any more mess for you here. Could you get me a taxi? I could do better. I sent for one of my more ducal cars, and it's waiting outside now. I'm going to the Carlton. I shall phone Algy from there. Right. The Carlton it is. A penny for them. Oh, you make me sick. Me? What have I done? Nothing. That's just it. I'm fed up. Perhaps you've had a dull evening. You really ought to get about more, you know. Go places, meet people. Very funny. Well, perhaps you'll be a bit fed up yourself when Algy and Luca get those papers. Are you sure you aren't going to give them to me? Well, I suppose you think I ought to for saving my life. Oh, you go about playing the Robin Hood of crime and then it's back to your blonde girlfriend to be told how wonderful you are. That's why you make me sick. Sick, sick, sick. Well, why not get on with it? Don't worry about the car. We can always have it clean. Oh! Here, where are we? This isn't the way to the Carlton. You've noticed. Tell the chauffeur to turn round. Tell the Leave the chauffeur, the chauffeur in peace behind the little glass window, shall we? I don't know what good you think this is going to do you. You're trying to protect me or anything like that. Oh, I read it on me. Darling, the thought would never enter my head. I know you can look after yourself. But it wouldn't suit me at all if you sold those papers to Fairweather or Luca. So, I just want to keep an eye on you until I get them. You mean you're kidnapping me? Guest in one. I wouldn't like to take you on a charade. I think you're an unspeakable cat. I am. And I fairly wallow in it. And here we are at the CAD's country seat. 30 minutes from London, if you don't worry about the speed cops, and you might as well be in the middle of the new forest. Now, let me introduce you to the chauffeur. You remember Pat, don't you? The blonde with the wardrobe you liked so much? You! I'm afraid so. I gather we'll be spending quite a bit of time in each other's company. We might get to know each other better. I wouldn't count on it. At 4 a.m. the following morning, a young policeman noticed a suspicious cluster of shapes in a doorway in Grosvenor Square. Three bound men with adhesive tape over their mouths. They were stripped to the waist and horrid bloodstains smeared across their torsos. The young Bobby's heart skipped a beat, fame, promotion. Then one of the bodies moved and groaned. No, not blood, red paint. 
From brow to waist, they were painted in zebra stripes of red, white, and blue. Hanging over them on the door handle was a card inscribed with the words, These animals are the property of Mr. Kane Luca. Please do not feed. Chief Inspector Claude Eustace Teal, by all that's wonderful, come in and have some breakfast. Yes, I had my breakfast at breakfast time. <laughs> I know you're up till all hours, so tell me, what were you doing last night? Really, Claude... Have you no discretion? Let me tell you some of the things you did. You dined at the Barclay with Lady Valerie Woodchester. She left at about half past ten. You went on to the Cafe Royal and got back here towards 12.15. At five minutes past one, you went out again with two of your friends, taking good care you weren't followed. At 25 past two, Miss Ohm left here in another of your cars, and she also gave us the slip. At 4.30, you came in alone. I want to know what you were doing between 1.05 and 4.30. You know, I believe you must have been having me watched. I don't call that very friendly of you. And while we're at it, suppose you tell me about those men you had painted red, white and blue. <laughs> Somebody must have been pulling your leg, Claude. Uh, do they say I painted them? No, I know it was you, though. It has your stamp all over it. Well, since no one's laid a complaint, you haven't come here to arrest me. What have you come for, Claude? I thought you might like to tell me what this is all about. And what has Mr. Luca got to do with it? He was at that country house when John Kennett was burnt to death, wasn't he? Have you thought of asking Luca? I have asked him. He said he'd never seen these men before, and they say they've never heard of him. But two of them are French. And I happen to have found out that John Kennett was a member of this fascist organisation, the Sons of France. Are you sure about that? Oh, yes. His mother was French, and he spoke the lingo like a native. He joined six months ago under the name of Jeanne de la Paix. Incidentally, she was also a member of the French Communist Party. Hmm? What do you make of that? That he had guts, for one. But he must have got further than just joining, and that would be another reason for having him cremated. Hmm? Well, what was the first? Come on, Templar. Let's work together. All right, Claude. I'll tell you the little I know. Let's start with friend Luca. He's currently top tycoon in the arms racket. Yes, I suppose so. Friends Fairweather and Sangor are his stooges in a couple of British arms firms he controls. Between them, they practically have a monopoly of the arms industry in this country. And remember, the best way to increase profits in that game is for as many people to kill as many others as possible. Go on. Now let's go to France. There they have a fascist organisation called the Sons of France, and it's pretty clear Luca is backing them. Fascist regimes are good for business. And Kenneth? John Kennett was a communist and a pacifist. And as I said, he had guts. He joined the Sons of France to try to expose the arms racket, and by some fluke he must have discovered something really worth discovering. So, he had an accident. But no one can prove that he was murdered. No, not yet, but I'm working on it. And what are you working on? Mm, only one thing... Kennet fell for Lady Valerie, and he left some of his evidence in writing. That's why the flat was torn apart when Windley was murdered, but whatever it was, it wasn't there. Lady Valerie has it, and for the moment she's not saying what she's done with it. She's concealing evidence. What are you doing that for? Doe, Mazuma, Boodle. She knows the evidence is worth cash to Fairweather and Co. But don't worry about it, Claude. The price is too high for you, and it, it wouldn't do you much good. I only wanted to find out what's behind the racket. Oh, you know darn well. I sent a man round to interview Lady Valerie Woodchester. No Lady Valerie. 
but he found her maid in a rare old state. When she got in this morning, she found the flat turned upside down. It looks exactly as if she has been kidnapped. And if she has, I'll know who's done the kidnapping. Claude, what a suspicious mind you do have. Yeah, no, 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 you stay here and I'll see who it is. Oh, Claude, you're a sweetheart. I've given Norris the day off. Morning, Inspector. You better come in. Yes, I was just about to put Mr. Templer under arrest. Good gracious. May I ask the charge, Inspector? I suspect him of being concerned in kidnapping Lady Valerie Woodchester. Kidnapping? Well, her maid told me she hadn't slept at home last night. As Mr. Templer seems to have been seeing rather a lot of her recently, I thought he might know where she is. Oh, but I do. I knew it. Now, where have you taken her? Well, she's no more than half a dozen yards away from you. Yeah? Of course. You didn't think of that, did you? You'll find her perfectly safe and sound. Where is she? Come through to the bedroom and I'll show you. This way. You always suspected this place was an Aladdin's cave of secret <laughs> passages, Claude. This ought to amuse you. Open that door. Hmm? Very well. Lovely selection of suits, if I say so myself. Look, I didn't come here to admire Look, your just wardrobe. just get in there and push the wall at the end. It opens. What do you see? In you go. Yes. Get her. Get her. Open this door and let it out. All in good time, gentlemen. Get All her. in good time. Let us out. Hello. Horrid oh, theatre. Bad news. The girl's just got away. Oh, dear. Let me talk to Miss Holmes. She ain't here. She went out in a car to buy some scotch. While she was gone, this lady Valerie shouts out that the rug is on fire. I go to see and she slips out behind me. Before you can say Jack Robinson, she's heard it down the stairs, and she's off like a bat out of hell with your Daimler. The Daimler? The unkindest cut. Listen, Norris, all hell is about to pop, and you'd better get out from under. Stick around till Miss Holmes gets back. Then both of you make for Brooklands, get out the old kite, and fly over to Heston. Peter will be waiting for you, and do exactly what he tells you. Got it? Peter, old man... One or two balloons have gone up. Action is undoubtedly called for before Chief Inspector Teal emerges from my wardrobe. I don't think I quite caught that. It's a nice story, but another time, Peter. Now listen. Pat and Oris will be on their way to Heston with the monospar at any moment. Get over there and take off at once. Hop over to Deauville. Take the train to Paris, and I'll be in touch later at the Hotel Raphael. Be seeing you. Right, sir. I left the flat to the sound of thunder on the wardrobe door. It could only be a matter of seconds before it gave way. The lift deposited me swiftly in the basement garage and I slid into the hirondelle. I had a pretty good idea of the intrepid Valerie's next move and knowing she was coming from Weybridge gave me the chance to stage an ambush. I got to the spot she had to pass with ten minutes in hand. Just as expected, I saw the Daimler glide past the end of the road and I was on the trail. A stop at South Kensington Post Office, Valerie parks and walks in. I decide the Hirondelle is now a liability and reluctantly park around an exhibition road. I walk back to the post office and there is Valerie emerging, putting a small envelope in her bag, much too small to contain Kenneth's dossier. Her cloakroom story must be true. She mailed the ticket to herself, post restaurant. As she climbs back into my Daimler, I hail a taxi. See that Daimler? Yes, Guff? There's two quid on top of the fare if you can keep behind it. You're on. Yes, you the old Bill? Not quite, but that's my Daimler, and I don't trust the girl behind the wheel. Ah, uh, women drivers, don't I know? <laughs> 
Hey, this is a bit of all right. Paddington Station, Cabby's dream. She could have led us anywhere. Right. Here's a fiver. Wait here five minutes. If I'm not back by then, we're all square, okay? Fine by me, Governor. That young lady, the one just before your last customer, where did she want to go? Uh, Anford, sir. Well, give me a ticket there. First class. There were three minutes to spare, and I made a dash for platform six. I pulled up just in time. A burly man in a dark suit was pacing bovinely past the platform entrance. The alarm had gone out in earnest. I hadn't a snowflake's chance in hell of boarding that train. I turned and walked quickly out of the station. The Daimler was where Valerie had considerately parked it. I gave the car its head and I made Anford Station in three minutes under two hours. The London train had beaten me by a good quarter of an hour, but the local taximan remembered his female fare. Once seen, Valerie Woodchester isn't easily forgotten. He dropped her at the Golden Fleece. Come in. Darling. Something the matter with our hospitality. Well, I'll be damned. Aren't you marvellous? How on earth did you know I was here? Professional secret. I do these tricks for a living. And now, suppose you tell me what John Kennett's papers were doing in the left luggage at Paddington Station. I had them with me when I came down for the weekend of the fire. I hadn't read them, of course, and John was sure to go on about them. So I decided I'd leave them somewhere safe. Then the fire happened and and everything, so I well, I thought I'd better see what they were all about. And what are they all about? I don't know yet, but they look rather dull. If I let you see them, I don't see why we shouldn't work together. You do rather like me, don't you? Darling, I adore you. Well, I hope so. Because if you don't, I'm going to scream for help and bring the whole hotel in. On the other hand, provided you're reasonable. Darling, I can be the most reasonable man alive. Mm. Mm. On the other hand, if you even try to scream, I'll have no hesitation in knocking you out. And when you wake up, you'll have a headache and a pain in your jaw. The papers, mm. please. Beast, take your damn papers. Thank you. Well? Mm. Nothing out of the ordinary. A detailed dossier of the Sons of France, what you'd expect, nothing to get killed for. Huh. Now, this is more interesting. What is it? It's just a scribble. Van Sankou, 25th of August. That's tomorrow. Which would this piece de memoire noyé par Monsieur Cholage? Cholage? Isn't that the French president? It is. And the piece de memoire is an old chateau converted into a sort of old soldier's home for great war veterans. He's opening the place tomorrow. Wait a bit. There's something else. What do you make of this? Remember the... Mm, no, it's John's writing, but that last bit's just a scrawl. Remember the... That's an R, isn't it? Remember the... It looks like Rinksty. dear. A, a ship and a tell. Think, Valerie. He meant this for you. He, he scribbled it on the paper because he thought it would mean something to you. Is it a pet name for somewhere you used to meet? Oh, for God's sake, think. It's no good. It doesn't mean a thing. Something happens at Noyer tomorrow, and this ought to tell us what. This is what Luca and the sons of France are murdering scared of anybody getting hold of. John must have thought you'd understand. If only you'd listen to him. I know. I'm a silly little fool. Isn't this photograph any help? This is Colonel Marteau, and that's Luca. Now, who's the other man? I don't know. But I do remember John getting excited about a photograph. What did he say about it? I don't know. I told you I never listened. 
Well, I've got a sort of idea he said it would prove something about how Mr. Luca was a murderer, but... Oh, I don't know. Well, I'll take charge of it. And unbeknown to Valerie, I also took charge of the negative, which I'd found clipped beneath it. I rolled it up and slipped it into the top of my fountain pen. Ten minutes later, we were speeding towards the coast. I'll drop you off at Southampton. And then what'll you do? Dash back to your blonde girlfriend, I suppose, and tell her how clever you are. I don't have to tell her. She knows. You enjoy hurting people, don't you? Pushing around the women you meet like a little Hitler in the Reichstag. What in the name of all that's hurting... My God, how did you think of it? That's it. That's what? The Reichstag. That's the word on Kenneth's note. That's what he wrote. Remember the Reichstag. He meant the Reichstag fire. The Nazis, they did it themselves and they blamed the communists. That's how they seized power. And now Marteau plans to have Scholage assassinated and seize power for himself. Watch out! They can't have those guns! Now, Luca, what about this story of Fairweathers? That you're planning to murder Lady Valerie? So you've heard. Yes, it has become necessary for her and Templar to be eliminated. That is why I sent for you this evening. I told you so, General. Uh, well, well, if, if you think we're going to take part in any damned murder plot, you're damn well mistaken. Uh, I, I never heard of such, uh, well, such infernal impudence. When will you realize we are not playing games? French patriots have planned a coup d'etat for tomorrow. Of course, people will die. What do one or two, more or less, matter? Officially, we know nothing about all this. If the plot failed, don't think you'd be able to plead ignorance. Young Kennett gave some papers to Lady Valerie before he was killed. My men have recovered most of them, but the negative of a certain photograph was not to be found. That photograph is enough to implicate us all. How? I am in that photograph. So is Colonel Marteau, and so is the assassin. If I am implicated, gentlemen, so are you. I oh. do assure you of that. Well, 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 where are they now? A Templar and the girl, I mean. I've arranged for them to be sent across to Paris. It'll be easier to deal with them there. Within a few hours, the sons of France will be giving their own orders to the Surete. We flew over the channel in extreme discomfort, bound and huddled together in the luggage hold. Throughout the flight, I was working away against a metal flange of the ropes binding me, and by the time we landed, only a strand or two still held. We were blindfolded, shoveled into the back of a limousine, and driven for about half an hour. Then we were hauled out and led, none too gently, down a flight of stone steps and into a cellar. When the blindfolds were removed, we stood, hands behind our backs, facing Colonel Marteau. At his side, unbending as ever, was Kane Luca. Et prisonnier, mon commandant. Très bien. Monsieur Luca? Mr. Templer, among the papers you secured from Lady Valerie, there was a photograph and its negative. Where is the negative? You have me, old boy. I certainly do. We also have Lady Valerie. I know quite well that you would resist interrogation for a long time, and at the moment, time is precious. We shall therefore start with Lady Valerie. Oh, my God. The sons of France have an excellent treatment for obstinacy. Unless we're given the information we require, Lady Valerie will be tied up and flogged until we do get it. But I don't know. I don't know what happened to the negative. Simon, I don't know what you did with it. That's true. She doesn't know. She couldn't tell you even if you flogged her to death. In that case, I hope your natural chivalry will induce you to spare her any unnecessary suffering. Oh, Simon! Monsieur le Commandant, I ask nothing for myself. But are you content to record the torture of a helpless girl as the glorious beginning of your revolution? No individual counts for anything compared with the destiny of France. As a man, I should prefer to spare, mademoiselle. As a leader charged with the destiny of France, my course cannot falter. The fate of mademoiselle is in your hands. I see. 
And if I told you what you want to know, I suppose we should be murdered just the same. The sons of France do not commit murder. You will be court-martialed. Exactly. You'll get a fair trial by court-martial, and you'll be shot immediately afterwards. Those words were Luca's fatal mistake. There was clearly nothing left to lose. I burst the last strands of rope restraining me and seized the revolver from the holster of the nearest guard. Any of you can have what your friend got. You only have to ask. None of them asked. Then on my right, I saw a door opening stealthily. It was the third man in Kenneth's photograph, the assassin. Luca made for his revolver, so I leveled my sights between his eyes and fired again. And suddenly, armed men in the uniforms of gendarmes were swarming in. Saint, may I have the pleasure of presenting Monsieur Senat, Paris Police. Ah, Monsieur Templer. I only regret that your message reached me too late to save you this inconvenience. My dear sir, I'm devastated to have troubled you. Oh, no trouble, Monsieur Templer, I assure you. A pleasure. I think I'm going to be married soon. Who's the lucky man? Captain Knightley. You remember him, don't you? He rescued me from the fire. So he did. Why do you think the general shot himself? I suppose he thought it was the best way out for him. Let's drink to him. To Sangor? Why? Haven't you ever wondered why all those policemen poured into that cellar in the nick of time? Well, Senap said he got a message from you. I sent no message. Sangor sent it. Luca committed the unforgivable sin. He reckoned without that spark of honor at the heart of the old soldier. Sangor went along with him most of the way, but cold-blooded murder is a step too far. So... To General Sanger. General Sanger. That makes an excellent climax. A climax? I thought I'd write my memoirs for one of the Sunday papers. I told Algie about it and he offered to buy them himself. And how much did he give you for them? Ten thousand so far. He doesn't really want me to start writing them just yet. Just as well, really. My spelling's lousy. <laughs> <laughs> In The Saints Plays with Fire by Leslie Chartres, dramatised by Neville Teller, Paul Reese played The Saint, Kim Thompson, Patricia, Fiona Fullerton, Valerie, John Baddeley, Inspector Teal, Jonathan Keeble, Peter, John Hartley, Fairweather, Geoffrey Whitehead, Luca, John Turner, General Sangor, John Hollis, Oris, Andrew Branch, Knightley, Roger May, Marto, David Collings, The Coroner, and David Timpson, Breen. The Saints was directed by Matthew Waters. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed our latest adventure with The Saint. And don't forget, comedy tomorrow with it being a Monday with Hancock's Half Hour. Going live at 5pm GMT. As I mentioned earlier, we've got a supporter page, patreon.com forward slash Brett's Old Time Radio Show. And don't forget, share our show across your social media if you would be so kind. Thanks for listening. I'll be with you seven days a week, each and every week, and I'll see you tomorrow on Brett's Old Time Radio Show. Love you. Bye.